Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. You will uh, know if you've been here for the last uh, few weeks that we're uh, in a series where we're looking at the big picture of the Bible. I nearly whacked you in the head as you came past then, Robin. It was, uh, uh, and uh, as we are thinking about uh, what is the story that holds all of Scripture together, I don't know about you, but uh, for me, uh, particularly before I... Um, went to a theology college, uh, often the Bible felt a bit like a, a, a large book full of all sorts of things that I couldn't figure out how they were connected. Uh, and as I started to learn that uh, these things actually were connected and that there was a, an overarching flow to the whole thing, and this was in spite of the fact that it was written over thousands of years by multiple different authors, uh, I found it really affirming. Uh, and not only that, but as I delved deeper into the, the Old Testament, I discovered that uh, my understanding of Jesus was so enriched by uh, understanding more about the people of God and the way God uh, had worked uh, in times past. It's important for us to get the big picture. Uh, And as uh, you've heard, I've told you, uh, and I'll keep telling you, uh, so that you cannot forget the big picture, uh, excuse me, (coughs) is this idea of the kingdom of God. We uh, have just exercised our rights uh, as members of uh, the kingdom of Australia. I don't think that's what the Commonwealth of Australia Uh, And uh, it seems to me that uh, 50% of my friends are ecstatic and believe uh, that Scott Morrison is correct when he said he believes in miracles and 50% are uh, repenting in dust and ashes, uh, depending on uh, how you take yesterday's results. But our kingdom is actually... Uh, Whilst uh, secular politics are interesting, we know that we're part of God's kingdom. And uh, we've seen that this is about being God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. (coughs) Excuse me. What I want to do today is move from Genesis 12 to the end of Leviticus in about 20 minutes. So... Strap yourself in. We'll see how we go. Obviously, I'm leaving out a lot of detail. uh, And hopefully, uh, you find it encouraging. uh, And if you've got questions, of course, do feel free to ask them. uh, And uh, we can try and nut some things out together. But this will give you a a big picture overview of a a large chunk of the Bible, I hope. What we see... Uh, in these uh, chapters uh, from uh, Genesis 12 through to the end of Leviticus uh, is a focus 
in the Bible on the story of God's kingdom and in particular a focus on how his promises are partially fulfilled in the people of God and in their experience of God's rule and blessing. So that's what we see as the stories unfold. And uh, if you've been in church a long time, you, you'll be familiar with a lot of the stories that are, that are contained in uh, those uh, few books. We heard, you'll remember last week, uh, that God promised to Abraham that he would make him into a great nation in Genesis 12 verse 2. And the reading we had today, which picks up the story uh, many, many, many years later, generations later, uh, again picks up on that promise. God says in chapter 6, verse 7 of Exodus, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Uh, It's a restatement of the promise by God to his people. And it bears restating because from Genesis 12 through to Exodus 6, we've seen the, 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 the struggle and the outworking of God's promise and the way that God's people have been under threat or have felt like maybe God's not going to fulfil his promises to them. Of course, the, 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 the really the, the beginning of this story with Abraham, we, we see that from the moment God promises to them that I'm going to make you a great nation, there's a great big problem. Now they don't have any kids. How will I become a great nation when I haven't got any kids? Think Abraham and Sarah. And of course, they wait for a little bit for God to do something. But then they take matters into their own hands. They think, God's promised me this thing, but it's not happening in my, the time I frame I think it ought to happen or how I want it to happen. And so they decide that they'll enlist the help of Hagar. Sarah's maid. Abraham sleeps with her, has a child. Maybe this is how God will fulfil his promises to us. And it's quite astounding, actually, when you consider the nature of, of the sin that Abraham has committed in failing to trust God, but also in then committing adultery to try and achieve the promises of God, and yet God's grace still triumphs. Through that whole messy situation, Abraham needs to learn to trust God and rely on him. And he does eventually get round to that. Sarah does eventually give birth to uh, his son Isaac. And at this point, uh, we see hope for God's promise, don't we? Well, one son, I suppose that's a nation as numerous as the stars in the sky. Well, it's at least a beginning. <coughs> and the Bible continues to track the story of uh, this small beginning and how God is going to. Uh, uh, fulfill his promise to make Abraham into a great people, a great nation. We see uh, that Abraham's trust in God is again tested in chapter 22 when God asks for Abraham to sacrifice his son. And it's a bit of a hard story to read with our modern eyes and yet 
in it, we see Abraham having a really a dramatic turnaround from thinking that God's promises are somehow going to need to be fulfilled by him having uh, an affair with his maid to now thinking, well, here's my only son who's been delivered to us when we're both 100. And now, thank you, Graham, I am going to uh, go and take him up to an altar because God's told me to do this and sacrifice him and still trust that somehow God will make me into a great nation and bless me. And of course, as he goes up, God provides a ram and uh, Abraham doesn't need to sacrifice his son. And as we see the story of Abraham in particular unfold and we see his trust in God grow, I think we learn a little bit for ourselves. Because we see here an imperfect, sinful man struggling to see what God is doing and yet in his sin and imperfection he muddles his way along and he keeps on trusting in God. He keeps on believing in his promises. I don't know why God would want me to sacrifice my son who's the the fulfilment of his promise but I trust God. Trusting in God's promises even when we can't understand what God is doing in our own lives is terribly difficult. I don't know what's going on for you in your life today. It would seem that if you're many of my friends on Facebook the world has ended as the election result did not go the way they wanted. And you'd be struggling to understand how God can be good and those guys can be in. Or much worse, illness, tragedy, financial ruin. There's a lot that goes on in our life which in the middle of it all, it's a hard, hard task to trust that God is really alive and active and faithful to his promises. And if that's you today, you're struggling to see the wood for the trees, to see God's goodness, that's fair enough. Take heart from Abraham who had no idea what God was doing as he climbed up that hill or as he waited for year upon year for, for, for a child. <coughs> Keep trusting God, just as Abraham did, because God is good and God is faithful, even when we don't understand. Well, the story continues and from Abraham's descendant Isaac flows many more people. The promise of God starts to be fulfilled as the Bible story continues to unfold. Isaac marries Rebekah. They have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Some crazy stuff happens there and Jacob, the youngest son, gets the blessing of Isaac and he goes on uh, to carry God's blessing and he has 12 uh, sons Uh, Hardly making a great nation, but certainly up on one that Abraham uh, seemed to have uh, or had that began or that he had initially. 
and uh, we see uh, in that story with Isaac and his 12 sons uh, an interesting occurrence, don't we? Because obviously one is favoured and everyone else is jealous and in their jealousy they kick Joseph into a well and think about killing him but end up selling him into slavery. And again, this looks like a bad thing for God's promises to be fulfilled. God's people, like, like there's jealousy amongst, uh, amongst the people of God and they're, they're causing a, each other pain and grief. And as Joseph uh, finds himself in the well, he must be thinking, what's going to happen to me? And then he finds himself chained uh, uh, and part of a slave uh, caravan as it moves its way through to Egypt sold into slavery things go well for a while then back into prison again until ultimately he finds himself under God's great blessing as the two IC of the greatest nation in that part of the world and we see don't we as the book of Genesis comes to a close that this was all part of God's plan to preserve God's people. For famine comes on the land where uh, his brothers and his father are and they go to Egypt for protection and Jacob, uh, sorry, Joseph is able to provide for them. God's people provided for by God so that they can continue to grow and become this great nation. And that's where Genesis finishes. And Exodus begins with God's people having grown very, very large and numerous, a a great fulfilment or or partial fulfilment at least of of the promise that God made to Abraham. But of course, things aren't as they ought to be. For now Joseph is gone and the people of God are in slavery. And this invites us as we get to Exodus to ask the question, how can God be making his people into a great nation if they're stuck in slavery. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to the people of God. So they cry in Exodus chapter 2. They they groan because of their slavery. We read verses 23 to 25. They groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And what does he do? He raises up Moses. Moses, who's God's servant, who he will use to bring freedom for God's people by delivering them from the Egyptians out of slavery. As God does that throughout the uh, opening parts of the book of Exodus, we see God reveal some of who he is, that he, he says he reveals his name. Uh, Exodus chapter three fourteen. I am who I am. And it's important to note that as we unpack the story of Scripture, we're not just looking at people and, and uh, what happened. We're actually figuring out more of who God is, and what God is like, a God who keeps his promises, A God who is jealous for his people. As God saves the people from slavery, we see, don't we, that the people of God are a people in need of salvation. And they need that salvation to come from the hand of God. And of course that connects more fully to what God will do in Jesus, which we'll see in later weeks. But as the story continues, 
we see that once God has rescued his people and he sent them out of Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land, they spend some time in the wilderness, quite a long time actually because of their sin. But they spend this time in the wilderness doing two things, receiving the law and, and, and constructing the tabernacle, which is like a big giant tent, uh, which was where God dwelt. Once God brings his people out of Egypt, the focus shifts. Okay, we can trust that God's going to fulfill this promise to Abraham to make himself a people. But what about the rest? Well, we see God's rule and blessing uh, in Exodus, the rest of Exodus and through into Leviticus as God gives the people his law and instructs them how to live and access his presence through the tabernacle. And just as obedience to the law wasn't the pathway for God's people to become God's people, right? God saves them, then he gives them the law. So it is for us. He saves us and then we live for him. Often I think we think that the Old Testament ways of doing things and the New Testament ways of doing things are totally separate. But actually we see it's the same pattern. A God of grace reaching out to his people who then calls us in response to his grace to live for him and follow his way in faith and obedience. God gives the Ten Commandments, he gives all the laws, and the people are called, he calls them as his people to follow them. And of course they do a very bad job, which God knew would happen, and that's why we end up with Jesus, and we will get to that in coming weeks. But we see in the tabernacle, particularly, a great sign of what is to come. You'll remember that Adam and Eve enjoyed the blessing of God's presence with them in the garden. When they followed God's laws, when they hadn't broken it and hadn't eaten from the tree, they enjoyed the presence of God in their life. He was with them in the garden. Well... With the tabernacle, God comes to dwell with his people again. He dwells in the most holy place. And they can't, the people of God uh, can't get access to that. They know he's there, but they can't see him. They can't be with him because of sin. And so there's all these sacrifices that get set up up that have to be done in order for the people of God to to access uh, God in his tabernacle. But it is a great moment in the Old Testament when God comes back and dwells with his people again, even if it is a bit somewhat remote. And of course we know that God's plan was not simply to live uh, near us in a box. This is merely a partial fulfilment of what is to come where he would dwell among us in the person of Jesus and ultimately dwells among each of us by the person of the Holy Spirit. Sadly, for many of us, we've put God back in a box, a big box, 
with a big big arch and big roof and big poles and bricks and we sometimes think God lives here in this building that's why we come here to worship him we just come here because it's got a roof basically and it's useful for gathering us God dwells here in our hearts by the spirit and the only reason he can do that is because sin has been dealt with. Just as the people of God had to sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice so that they could have God kind of near them a bit in a tent. We trust the sacrifice once for all of Jesus Christ who has dealt with our sin and who makes us holy so that God is no longer in a box but he's in our hearts. And that is good news indeed. Well, it's been a very loose run through of uh, a few parts of scripture. Uh, and hopefully you've seen uh, some of how the big picture holds together this part of the scriptures. And we'll continue next week. Uh, we'll try and go from uh, sort of after Leviticus all the way through to Kings. Uh, and you'll see some more of how the story of God unfolds. But I hope that what you've seen as we've just worked through that together this morning is that the grace of God is still the same. He still reaches out to an undeserving people and calls them his own and then asks us simply to trust him with faith. He longs to be with us And he dwells with us. And he simply asks us, even if we don't understand, to trust. Because he is faithful to his promises. God's people, living under God's rule and blessing, following God's way. As we've begun to see how our faith in Jesus connects to this story, I hope that you've been encouraged and that you'll experience God's blessing today as you respond to that grace with faith, trust and obedience. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church, www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.